Hello and welcome to Technology Voice podcast number 13. Goodbye iPod, hello phone wallet. In today's show we're going to hear about um, Apple Pay. We're going to listen to some uh, news about the trend of VCs having design directors. Uh, we're going to hear about Peter Thiel's book Zero to One. Also, the Internet of Things and the growth of devices on that. We also have our tech expert in studio, and we're going to hear about some interesting, cool technology later on in the show. But to start off, I want to introduce our panel who are here today. Um, first of all, we have uh, Tom Murphy. Hi, Tom. Hello there. Um, we have uh, Jack Harty, who's our tech finance expert. Hi, Jack. Hello, John. Um, we have Fergal Gallagher, who's joining us from New York. Hi, Fergal. Hi, John. Good to be here, as always. And we have Tara Dalrymple from uh, Mission Possible, also here in studio today. Hi, Tara. Hi, John. Um, okay, so we're going to uh, talk about some news in tech, but first of all, we're going to hear from our friends. Technology Voice. Today's show is brought to you by clearbookings.com. Clearbookings is a event booking service uh, based here in Galway, and you can find out more at their website, which is www.clearbookings.com. And also by I Speak English. Tara, I Speak English are a local Galway company. They do um, a service for startups to help them to... I think it's translate their, their wares, right, for the, uh, the German populace, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. What they do is they saw that there's an, um, a lack of people creating this brand and whole ideology around their business. So then when they're actually out there or about to launch, they have no ideology, they don't know who they're about, their branding is existent or non-existent, or they've just got some $5 work up done. So they're kind of really channeling into this to get it right from the beginning to make sure that they can grow and scale and not uh, be plagiarizing other people's logos from another website or something like that. Okay, I speak English. Um, thanks to Tara for that description. The Technology Voice show is recorded in the studios of Flirt FM in NUI Galway. Flirt FM is Galway's student radio station run by the students and staff of NUI Galway and Galway Mayo IT. You can check out the website at www.flirtfm.ie. Also, you can check us out on Twitter at Flirt FM. Technology Voice. So in today's news, uh, I'm going to talk, uh, or I'm going to start off with uh, the story which caught my eye about the Internet of Things. And this was that, well, the Internet, internet of Things, I suppose, is basically the Internet uh, invading or pervading all of our devices. Uh, the traditional one, I suppose, is our fridges you know, becoming smart and telling us when the milk is low. But an interesting story in Business Insider said that the Internet of Things is going to grow uh, to be 8 million, sorry, 8 billion, 8 million wouldn't be that impressive, 8 billion devices in 2018. So it's going to pass out the number of mobile phones, laptops, tablets, every other kind of internet-connected device is going to be a lot more on the Internet of Things. Tom, what would you like to see on the Internet of Things? What would you like to see connected? Well, I'm just trying to do the maths very quickly. It's like it's 8 billion things. I'm sure there's more than 8 billion items of... Uh, 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 things that can actually be have a like electronics like, put into into yeah. them. I mean, consumer electronics. It's very small, actually. I mean, the, mm. the, I mean considering how big uh, Apple is, yeah. it seems very conservative. Eight billion. I suppose well, they, they say there's about two billion at two billion at the moment, and we're talking about uh, three, four years' time. So I suppose a, a kind of a, a three hundred percent growth is still pretty impressive. Well, also the other thing is, you know, if it's such a great thing, why isn't it happening quicker? I mean, it's not that hard to actually. Sort of Jab some. Um, uh, we had that thing with tire packs. Remember the thing for finding your keys. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was extremely useful. Yeah. Or is extremely useful. Yeah. But uh, I'm just curious as to why we're not sticking um, electronics onto every little piece of hardware in the, our kitchens or in our cars. Or I suppose it's, it's cost and utility. So like, there's some things where, where it's very useful. You know, I, I um, as, as I've mentioned in previous shows, I'm one of the ESB eCar ambassadors, and uh, they've got basically this internet capability built into the car, so I can pull out my phone check how charged up the car is you know i can flash the lights do uh, uh warming up of the car before i go into it you know all through the internet so i guess um okay so 
tile is, is quite useful, I suppose, for finding lost valuable items. You mightn't put a tile into every single item because you know it would get quite costly, I guess, as you kind of roll out uh, more and more of these into your you know, every sock, for example. But right. I guess you know probably the the high end um, electronic devices, and then um, I don't know. See, I, mean, I would imagine a great use of um, the Internet of Things would be for people, older people living at home, who are probably would probably um, benefit from a being able to stay longer at home before going to full-time care for because they'd be able to be monitored you'd be able to monitor them sort of their activities their routines and if there's a break in their activities or routines you can actually pop around and see if everything's all right so uh you know i can sort of see it working from there and working in the cars you know you, you, you know, get an up-to-date real life <coughs> real-time diagnostic of how your car is working but i don't know i mean sort of yeah, the, the you know, it gets into sort of the thing with wearables as well. It becomes you know, you know, sort of attaching electronics to something for the sake of attracting because you can. Yeah. It doesn't really mean it's going to be that useful. Yeah, so I suppose, and maybe that's the thing about the fridge. Everyone kind of tells, well, you know, it's nice to have, but you know, I I can kind of do without that. So I'll give you a list of the applications where they okay. say Internet of Things are are I suppose more uh, growing. Connected advertising, so I suppose you're you're walking by some kind of billboards and it's giving you targeted stuff, which is uh, based on where you are and and uh, what your interests are. Um, traffic management systems, waste management. Um, smart electricity grids that adjust the rates for peak energy usage, smart water systems and meters, and then different types of industrial uses in assembly lines and so on. Right. It's, it's, it's a lot of um, a lot of kind of utility stuff. It seems you know like uh, traffic, waste, water, energy. Um, I suppose trying to do so, maybe so reduce costs in different ways. Yeah, sure. So it seems very incremental to what we have already. I mean, it's not actually sort of just changing or disrupting the, the fabric of the world we live around us, but just makes things run a bit smoother. Yeah, maybe more efficiently. I remember there was yeah. a nice uh, use case a few years ago, which was basically building in RFID tags into um, into medical supplies, because these are kind of things that when they go off, they really are off. You know, it's not yeah. like maybe um, a pack of biscuits you can get a bit more life out of, but it's, it's a critical issue when medical supplies go out of date and having a kind of a RFID tag in there that identifies the exact um, end of life of that thing is, is very important. So we should expect a world, uh, the ever-growing Internet of Things, but it probably won't happen in one big tidal wave. Well, yeah, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully it well, will. It doesn't seem that way. Technology you know, has <laughs> been there long enough. It's interesting just looking at the on that Business Insider article, there's a graph and it's showing kind of exponential growth of Internet of Things yeah. up to 2018. But, um, you know, it, and, and obviously they've only forecast up to 2018, but if that exponential growth will continue, it's interesting to see. Like what, what Tom says, um, eight billion devices doesn't seem that much, but maybe if you, if it, if that exponential growth continued, you'd, you'd probably have forty or fifty billion quick enough. Like maybe in another five or six years after that. So um, you know, I, I you know I think John's exactly right when you're talking about cost utility. That's that's why we haven't got these everything on the Internet of Things, but maybe by 2018 when it's so cheap to add things, you know, why not? And you, you probably will have everything connected. So, um, so Fergal, I presume a big supplier of these uh, connected devices will be uh, China. And uh, our next story is um, about Alibaba and the uh, the big IPO they had there. Yeah, so uh, um, I know we mentioned this on the show just when the IPO was announced, but um, I, just, I think since our last show, the IPO actually went ahead. And you know it, it was a it was a huge success. The um, it launched on the unusually probably on the New York Stock Exchange rather than um, Nasdaq, which most of the tech firms seem to go to. But hmm. um, I think on opening day it opened up thirty eight percent 
Um, so it, I guess everyone involved made, made a bunch of cash. Um, and I think the, the closing price on, on open day was around $92. And it's, uh, it's gone down slightly. I think uh, it's currently sitting around $89. So mm. a successful IPO. Um, and, um, and Jack Ma I, is, I is think sitting that, on a big pile of cash. Yeah, yeah, officially the the biggest IPO in history. Which, and I, I just think it's worth talking about because I, I think a lot of people hadn't even heard of Alibaba before the um, before the IPO was announced. And it's um, you know it, 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 it's it's the biggest company ever launched, and I guess still you know not that big over here. But um, you know, for a company that's just based in one market, um, it it is in, incredibly impressive and. You know, I think they've, they're very much aiming to to um, to grow outside of China as well. Do you think, um, do you think it's a tech company, Fergal, or is it uh, a big shop or a big supplier that just happens to have a, a nice website? You know, I'm a, like we had a big discussion in our last show about Amazon and uh, you know the different model there between Amazon and and uh, traditional retailers. You know, Alibaba basically sells stuff, right? And um, you know, you can have different obviously people selling things through it. Um, is is the what I suppose I'm trying to get at is is the biggest part of it the tech part or is the biggest part of the fact that they've created this kind of fantastic network of suppliers and and people selling stuff? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to wonder. I mean, that's that, right. I mean, yeah. I, I guess it's it's similar to your your Amazon. It, it it's a shop that happens to be online, but you know, I mean, I guess it's still a tech company from that point of view. But mm. just to just to talk a little bit about it, it um, because you hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's um, Chinese Amazon and, and it's a little bit different it's it's kind of made up of a few companies and um, I think what it started the the I think still maybe the largest part is that it's called the, the Taobao marketplace yeah. and that that's essentially eBay so it's a marketplace to start where people sell things uh, to each other so you you, you open accounts and it, it it's uh, ad based uh, business model so um, same as eBay eBay and then they have a thing called Tmall which I guess is the equivalent of Amazon. So that's where brands, it's a retail platform for brands. And then they also have Alipay, mm. which is basically PayPal. So, uh, and they then they've, they've, they've gone into kind of web services as well, like Amazon. And uh, they now have Alibaba.com, which is a market, uh, uh, an international marketplace. So it's trying to compete directly with eBay, I guess. Okay. So it's, it's kind of, you've got eBay pipe, PayPal, Amazon, and web services all kind of rolled into one company. Oh. Um, but so, so, so there's a lot going on. But it, I mean, it's interesting. I think um, it started Jack uh, Ma, who's, who's a bit of a kind of eccentric CEO. He's now stepped down as CEO and is just chairman. But um, you know, he started this company from his bedroom in '99 and with a, a clear view of you know. Take, taking on all the American online companies, so it will be interesting to see kind of kind of how that grows. And yeah, I think um, it, it was pretty rapid, really. I was thinking 1999, or it sounds like a long time ago, but not really that long time ago to have created a. Well, he already owns a quarter of a Yahoo, doesn't he? Twenty-four point something percent, isn't it? Well, yeah, Yahoo had yeah. bought into Alibaba, and then they right. kind of returned to the stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they've kind of gone out, but but I'm, I think. Um, when when he started, eBay was already in China, and it was kind of the main uh, marketplace that that his Taobao would have been competing with. And I think uh, they they were in in two thousand and three, and in two thousand and six, eBay pulled out of China. 
was kind of interesting because he'd 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 thrashed them. So you know, it's um, uh, it, it, it it's it's pretty impressive. Um, and uh, I think it, it, the kind of he's a huge celebrity in China because he's this very expert. He's this tiny kind of people describe this impish kind of man with this kind of huge personality. So he's. They say he's China's answer to Steve Jobs and, and a real character. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting and I suppose very similar business model to um, Amazon, as we were talking about last month. And it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And you know, it, it's kind of got such saturation already in China. You know, and. and how will it stave off competition there? And you know, now that it's a public company, will, will things change? So, but um, you know, it's 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 pretty impressive, and I wouldn't be surprised if it if it started to, you know, all the exposure in the Western media can't help it can't harm Alibaba.com growing as an international company as well, an international marketplace. So, um, yeah, we, we we'll be keeping an eye on it. Uh, Fergal, another interesting story was um, the, uh, I suppose, related to big corporations, and you mentioned Steve Jobs there, is the EU's investigation into Apple's Irish tax dealings. And, you know, we heard of various stories about um, uh, how, you know, uh, uh, there were meetings from the very early days of Apple being established in Ireland, we're talking about in the 80s, I think it was, and uh, now there's an investigation going on. Do you have some more on that? This is following on from last year, there was big news about the... um U.S. Senate investigations into Apple and the huge multinationals operating in Ireland that essentially saying that they're paying virtually no tax, I think in a less than 2%. And I'm sure people are aware of the term double Irish, where you have these companies that uh, are incorporated in Ireland, but they've been given permission uh, to say they're not a tax resident in Ireland mm. and they pay tax from a subsidiary in the Caribbean. So many of them are paying, even though our corporation tax is 12.5%, many of them are paying less than 2% tax. Mm. So that's kind of where it started. And, and this, um, there was the Senate committee in the US last year and that prompted an EU investigation. And that EU investigation is now ongoing. But what happened this week is that there were um, letters published from the um, EU investigation relating specifically to Apple's case in Ireland. And it was, I think, uh, leaked in the Financial Times yesterday. And then just this morning, this letter has been published, which is says that the advantages, tax advantages given to Apple by the Irish government is basically equate to state aid which is against EU law. So it's, uh, um, it's accusing Ireland and, and Apple of uh, breaking EU law. And it, it could have severe implications for Apple, anything from fines to having to repay all the tax that they, they should have paid. Well, I, I, I hope they repay all the tax to the Irish government um, rather than to uh, somebody else. But you know, I, I think this case is going back to 10 years of, uh, it goes back 10 years and I'm not sure is that some kind of limitation or is just, um, that's what they have data for, but you know, basically, I've heard that this. Um, if you go back to the '80s, we're talking about quite a sizable um, amount of money over 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 that period of time. But um, yeah, the, the question is, I suppose, if there is something found against, um, well, I, I I believe they're investigating the Irish government really in terms of the deal yeah, that they um, made. I mean, essentially, the accusation is that the Irish government made a special deal with Apple, and um, you know, the implication was Apple were 
just in order to secure the jobs, the Irish government said you can have the special deal and pay less tax, which is what they're saying is the state aid. Now, the, um, Michael Noonan came out yesterday and there's been statements again this morning to say that the Irish government is 100% confident that no state aid was given. So they're denying it. But there, there's some um, pretty strong language in um, that letter that was released this morning. Uh, let me just, just quote it for you here now. The letter from the EU Commissioner uh, Joaquin Almunia said, it said, the Commission has doubts about the compatibility of such state aid with the internal market. And it says, um, the, com the Commission is of the opinion that through those tax rulings, the Irish authorities confer an advantage to Apple. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, it it's seems to be saying pretty categorically that there was state aid given and the Irish authorities are, are denying it. But I think it's still maybe six months away from a decision. So, you know, it'll be interesting, but it could have huge ramifications. And, and as you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see how, where the, if the tax is to be repaid, where is it paid? Um, I can't see the 12.5% being paid to the Irish coffers. But I mean, if it was Apple's profits over over 10 years, we mightn't have to worry about our... Um, or EU debt anymore. Hey, holidays for everyone. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I think I think if it's fines, that would be paid directly to the EU Commission. That, mm. But I imagine if if there was found to be that, that tax going, that um, possibly the US might want to get their hands on some. It'd be of nice if we could well, we, so. we could have a new national holiday, uh, Apple Day, uh, in, uh, funded by this uh, big rebate. Um, <laughs> Uh, what we think of, I suppose, uh, the ultimate in design companies, I suppose, we, we often think of Apple, you know, as being the the, uh, the ones who have the, the best design products. And um, Tara, um, there's a new trend, uh, which is um, in terms of VCs and they're, they're investing in companies. And they want to see basically um, companies having designers on their board of directors. This is obviously is something that they see as being important. It's not just the techies and the business heads anymore, but they want to have the uh, user interface, user design people on board. Yeah, so um, I saw this first in the Fast Co-Design um, forum and they were talking about why VC firms are snapping up designers. So Irie Now was um, from the Google, from the UI team, and she's now gone into the Castler Ventures. So um, Google Ventures now have five of these design directors mm. and uh, Irie Now has uh, kind of been leading the way and Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield and Byers also have one as well. I think because they're seeing that... Um, with all of the integrations with UI and apps and platforms, that there's not enough design being thought of at, at conception or inception and that it's kind of leading to problems further down the line. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just thinking of the, the design flaw that's come up with the iPhone as well, you know, all yeah. of this bad publicity that could have been avoided if they had kind of thought about it. I mean, what do they mean by design? Do they mean like um, Johnny Ive kind of, you know, real in at the start design in terms of hardware and software or do they mean sort of design of sort of you know how we sort of present this to the public it seems to be sort of a bit well they a number of places that people can sort of start the conversation on that i think what it they're looking at is a lot to do with actually how it works looks the user interface the actual look and feel of a hardware um and I mean, I, I experienced this myself. I was pitching in Dragon's Den and they told me that they didn't like my design at all. So I had to go straight back to the board. So, you know, if, if you're coming up, you've got a great idea, but it looks really bad. You know, that's not going to sell for people who obviously want to invest and also the end user as well. So 
um, I thought that was an interesting point. So we're going to see a new cohort, a new professional, uh, uh, you know, a new profession, really, isn't a, it? A new LinkedIn title, uh, design director. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's great having tech heads, but you need to have this whole kind of 360 way of thinking. You know, um, it's all well and good covering certain points, but then you could be missing a fundamental flaw, you know, that could obviously affect your sales down the line. So they, they basically wanted to have a designer on the venture capital board. I was picking up actually wrong. I, I thought that the designers were going to be on the boards of the, no, the companies the VC, they're, they're yeah. investing in. Okay, so it's actually the VCs and yeah, those. All right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they can help them to uh, we uh, better assess. I think would be yeah. I suppose when you think about the multitude of apps and uh, products and Kickstarter things that are coming out, you know the things that look cool are the ones that that uh, that get funded. You know, so you think of the kind of the really slick videos. There's probably a thousand other videos or mm. apps or whatever that don't get the, get the attraction because they're just not designed nicely. Well, I think it's kind of a smart move because um, you know, sort of, you know, certainly. Um, Everybody likes to think they're the director or they know things or they've got an instinctive feel for how things work. But to have somebody there who's a professional actually sort of done, spent some time in the trenches actually sort of creating the stuff and knowing where it comes from and how it can be used would be um, an asset in determining whether this company, a, a company that's looking for investment, actually has the ducks in a row concerning not only the technical ability, the marketability, but also the ability to present that to the market, the, the essential bridge. Yeah. I mean, it's going to save them so much to have to rebrand or completely redesign it further down the line. So, mm. yeah. Um, well, then they say that in design, I mean, Steve Jobs and Apple, it was all about design. So, you know, wh why not have a, a Steve Jobs type person on your VC board, you know? So speaking of VCs, um, in today's news, Tom read a book <laughs> all about VCs. Tom, well done on reading your book. Yeah. I'd, well, I, read, got, I did read a book, actually. Oh, you're so. going to tell us about it. Okay. I'm going to tell you about it as well. <laughs> it's a book by Peter Thiel, who's um, the, um, a VC at Founders Fund. His um, original claim to fame was being CEO of PayPal, uh -huh. which he sold to eBay back in 2002 for $1.3 billion. By the way, another interesting book, before you tell us about your book, is a book called Founders, which is uh, a compilation of, of interviews with founders of companies, about 15 of them, including PayPal, right. Gmail, all those teams, uh, uh, worth reading if you're well, interested. Well, you could write a whole book about the founders of PayPal. Um, oh, yeah. Reid Hoffman was there. Elon Musk was there. Uh, Max Levchin. Max Levchin, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but anyway, he's written this book called Zero to One. And um, I, I, I found it quite fascinating, um, um, particularly um, as he's quite the contrarian in um, his views on how startups should run, how startups should be uh, founded. One of the things that he's quite hot on is that uh, that companies should get back to first principles and that uh, there's a big difference between companies that actually have a product and that they're trying to get from the engineering stage in front of a customer and a lot of that's handled by Steve Blank and Eric Ries with the minimum viable product I mean, and stuff like that. And he, he takes the whole thing back a step before that and goes, and uh, he refers that as one to end. So you've got your product and it goes and you can iterate or grow scale n amount of times. But his um, thing is about going back to zero. You know, where did the ideas first come from and what you should be thinking about as ideas for products in the future. The only thing that's going to solve a lot of the problems of the world that we have is technology. It's the only thing that's going to sort of foreshorten history. Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise, the things are just going to go on and on and on. The only way things are going to change anything is with technology. It's the, it's the major tool we have for change. And uh, so it's very important that you actually think about the technology that we're actually going to build and use. He starts off, actually, with how um, the, um, people think about creating products now. And uh, 
he says that that came from the start, start the, the boom, dot-com boom of the 90s. And the lessons that entrepreneurs took away from that were, one, make incremental advances, two, stay lean and flexible, three, improve on com- competition, and four, focus on product, not sales. These are um, basically written in stone now. And most, if you talk to any um, startup, they will all come up with these four things, the four criteria for forming a business very easily. Yeah. He turns on his head, though. His four criteria for a business are, one, it is better to risk boldness than triviality. Two, a bad plan is better than no plan, <laughs> which is kind of an extension of the number one, I think. Three is competitive markets, markets destroy profits. And four, sales matters just as much as, uh, as product. Mm. Is that you jumping for joy over there, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> sales matters as much as product. I hear the sound of ching-ching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so... Um, then he goes on to talk about, uh, in his book, uh, I mean, he, he breaks all that down, and uh, it's worth reading as to why he breaks it down. Some of it's political, some of it's just sort of, I mean, competitive markets, um, it, he advocates monopolies, yeah. where, you know, sort of the individual is a monopoly of one, and by extension, that the best market that a company can be in is, is a monopoly market, where it can set its own prices and has no fear from uh, other people driving the prices down, or other sort of difficulties with the competition yeah. so and he says that the flaw in the competitive market model is that if every, com- every company is operating in a perfect free market mm-hmm. then there is no margin for any profit at all because you know yeah. the, what would be the differentiation so he's very 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 keen on differentiation of uh, your product I mean it's essential and that's where the really hard thinking comes in and that's where you spend your time on the differentiation um, the other thing that's that I was that made me read it twice because the first time I read it I just highlighted for stuff that was interesting interesting to me but the, the second time I highlighted when I was planning to do the review was uh, from Jack Jack's um, talk about Amazon in the last show and uh, we were very curious as to why Amazon was making what 217 million on how many billion on 74 billion on 74 billion dollars uh, and he advocates that a company should be it's not should uh, ignore management mania for numbers and focus on what it calls durability and it says a company that's that's actually going to survive in this new age is going to have to be a company that was going to last for 10 20 30 years and if that means just making a marginal profit or just a little bit of profit then all the better because that helps to keep the competitors at bay and the and he writes a whole, and he writes quite a bit about why that works and why that should be what he's looking for. So when he looks for an investment company, he actually looks for a that the team that are coming before him are actually skills are meshed and that they actually have uh, complementary personalities, and b that they're capable of creating a durable company, one that will last, even if there's only a small return on the money for at least ten or fifteen years. And um, I thought that was. Um, <clears throat> Something that's uh, a, not a game changer in real life, but a game changer about how to think about companies, how to start companies. And, uh, and it really takes us away from the first four things that we had, the incremental advances, stay lean and flexible, improve on competition, focus on product, not sales. And to move it into his, and his arguments for moving on to his four criteria um, are fairly sound. I mean, he makes mm. a very good case for it. Mm. Interesting. So is he, is he, is he he's arguing more 
really for a more traditional business model rather than this you you know be lean and light and switch to, you know he says he wants a bit proper business plan and it's kind of going back to older values right well well it's different values it's not older values i mean he's 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 adamant that um, you know you build a moat and you keep the competition away and i think that's he's not interested in rapid scaling or rapid growth at all he's interested in the in making profitable products for the long run and uh, and that's a huge shift in taking and thinking. I mean, you, you look at any of the tech magazines; it's all about you know, you ship first and scale quickly, and it's all become such as a mantra that's kind of mindless if you think about it. And he sort of you know he sort of, sort of cuts legs off that sort of thinking mm. very effectively in the book. And it's very well worth reading. Yeah, like I I, I think some of the, the the lean startups don't necessarily go for the full make it first and then see they, they do do they do place a lot of emphasis like Steve Blank plays a lot of emphasis on customer development and you know talking to your customers making sure that you're creating that they want and then when you actually you know you, you build it then you have to re- refine it and see that it you know is it actually the same thing they wanted or do they want something else so I don't know if it's completely working in the dark you know in terms of the, the lean startup models I think I think they do try and at least some of them try try and bring in the the customer aspect. Well, as I said in in, in my review of the, the book, there's, there's a review of this book that's going to be published at the same time as this podcast. Okay. Is, is that I, I introduce uh, I contrast it with Steve what Steve Blank and Eric Ries do, and uh, and their their approach is very much for a, aimed at engineers introducing them to the um, customers yeah. and actually turning that that process into a way something that engineers can understand there's sort of like you know the stages to go through check something come back there's iterations there's feedback and it's a great way from getting engineers from out of the from out in front of their computers out to dealing with the members of the public so it works very well for a very small market yeah what he's trying to do here is actually sort of just wind it all the way back to zero and say listen if, you know we're trying to build a future here and the way we build a future is through technology and this is how we have to think about the businesses that we're going to build that surrounds that technology. And mm. it has to be for the long term. It can't be just sort of grow quickly or scale quickly or mm. be fashionable. Mm. It just has to work and has to work from the start. And like one thing he talks about is sequential marketing. He's In the book, he did, I heard it on a radio interview, he talks about um, why Facebook was so successful. And, uh, and there was two things. One is that uh, they used real names in the university Right yeah. about that time, you know, Friendster, MySpace, the other, the other ones where you could actually have any name. You know, the yeah. joke was, you know, nobody on the internet knows you're yeah. a dog. Yeah. But they, so he insisted on real names. And the other thing was that he sequentially increased his market from Harvard to Ivy League colleges to mm. the West, West Coast and then Stanford. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, by the time it was like 2004 before he actually really brought it out into the, the, yeah. the wide, the, the wider public. Yeah. So that sort of that sequential marketing is very much um, uh, something that. Peter Thiel advocates that you know you just sort of you just capture one small market with all you have, and then capture the next big market, and then yeah. just move out like that, rather than yeah. as, as 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 opposed to scaling quickly. Yeah. Okay. There, there is an argument to say that that's not dissimilar to um, Steve Blank's minimal minimum viable product. You know that he went out and tested it in a in a small local market, oh, i.e. Yeah. his own university and. Mm-hmm. Then he grew it from there. You know, sometimes this organizational um, business stuff, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff overlaps. So, you know, people try and theorize it and run with one theory, um, but the theories all overlap and we're all ultimately talking about the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe Steve Blank and P- and Thiel are not that far apart well, on that one. Well, talking about the same thing is key. Uh, I think the one of the reasons to read this book is uh, simply because so many other people have read it. 
I mean, obviously in the real world, you know, this is laid, laid, this is laid out in black and white. The real world has its own opinions of what we think about what should be done anyway. But uh, th simply the one reason to read this book is to talk about it because other people will be talking about it and people will be operating on these principles and people will be presenting themselves as entrepreneurial monopolists mm. and VC, VC fund meetings and so on. So it's important to understand the language and how it will affect thinking. Yeah, agreed. So thanks, uh, Tom, for the review of the book, and uh, hopefully we'll have another book review from you, from you sometime, will we? Guess what, John? I've read another book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, and no, it's, a record. <laughs> and I'm saving that for the next episode. It's uh, Creative Inc. by Ed Catmull. Okay, excellent. We'll look forward to that. Technology voice. So Tara, thanks again for joining us in the studio today. And maybe uh, just as part of our um, guest interview section, I, I'd like to ask you a little bit about um, Mission Possible and uh, what is it? What does it do? Okay, so... Um, Talking of iterations earlier, I've had a few iterations with this and uh, actually the name is changing soon, so, soon, so we're completely rebranding. So the name will be revealed shortly. But mm -hmm. essentially what it is, it's a reward um, and recognition platform mm -hmm. for companies to utilise for their staff. Mm -hmm. So my background would have been um, within the sector, sector in an offline capacity, kind of working with people who needed things done. It was lifestyle management essentially. So running after rich people who couldn't do things like picking up their washing or organising a party or sitting in for a tradesperson, things like that. So what we saw was an opportunity to enable us to provide this service for companies so they would buy um, credit on our site for their staff to utilise. So we were talking earlier in terms of retention and loyalty and things like this. Well, this is just something a bit different that some American companies already have used and there's a, a great opportunity for us to tap into it in Ireland. Okay. Um, Tara, you're, you're um, one of our talented 38 tech women for uh, 2014. Congratulations. And uh, we'll be revealing the full list um, pretty soon on, on the website. But uh, what do you think about um, women in tech in Ireland? Like, uh, I suppose it's, it's maybe um, a question that kind of answers itself. But um, what do you think can be done, I suppose, to improve things? How long have we got? Um. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might okay. have to get another show, I think. But Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of... <laughs> strategic press releases going about how great it's growing but i i see it with the footfall i mean it's it's 12 percent if you're lucky i mm. mean i was in microsoft brussels earlier this year yeah. 180 there's like 12 women right the web summit god i don't know yeah. like 50 men to every woman it was you know it's it's still there i mean there are some inroads being made but it's um it, it has a lot to go I think really, but I think it really starts from a really young age. You know, we need yeah. to be educating our kids that, you know, there's no gender specific roles. Women can be anything and everything. Yeah. And uh, I notice it with my own kids as well. You know, my son had a t-shirt with, I'm the boss. And I said to my son, I'm the boss. And he goes, no, mommy, you can't be a boss. You're a woman. I was mm. like, where does that come from? Yeah. So I didn't teach him that. So they're picking it up somewhere. Yeah. So we need to um, educate from a young age and make it more accessible. Okay. Um, be interesting to hear your feedback as well, uh, listeners. And uh, when we publish our talent at 38 uh, lists, please uh, send us some comments on the website of what you think can be done. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. Technology voice. So in today's tech finance section, uh, Tom Murphy is, is talking to Jack Harty about Apple and um, some of his observations about the finances of the company. So, Jack, we're out here in the, the grounds of uh, NUIG. Um, and uh, you've been researching Apple, Apple stock, uh, how much money they make, how they make it, where the, and uh, perhaps what they're going to do with all the money they are going to, they are making. So what's your news then, Jack? 
Well, Tom, uh, as I did with Amazon, I took a look at the um, Forum 10K, which Forum 10-K, which is the stock market submission from Apple uh, on an annual basis, and I looked at the 2013 submission. Now, they have uh, more up-to-date ones on a quarterly basis, but I find it easier to look at the annual numbers, and I'm looking forward to seeing the annual numbers for 2014. Uh, These these annual numbers are required by law? They're required um, by the rules of the stock exchange to have absolute transparency for investors. So that's one of the features of, I suppose, uh, listing on the American or the UK or the European stock exchanges. Uh, the theory is that the investors get absolute transparency so they can go and look in behind the door themselves uh, in terms of uh, knowing what's going on in the companies that they're going to put their money in in terms of buying shares. It's not too far from a, a traditional business model despite all the razzmatazz and the internet and all all that stuff uh, they're making they're making equipment and they're putting good software in it they're sourcing the components uh, at a good price and that's one of the key risks they identify actually is scarcity of components um, and they're distributing it uh, at, at, at good logistics when you think of paying a quarter of a million to ship 500 million phones in a jet halfway around the world uh, smart they probably they don't own jets but I, I reckon they're getting a good price on hiring jets um, and uh, they've They've um, kept their overheads down in terms of percentages, and they've kept their, despite their highly technological approach to to business, they've kept their uh, R and D figures uh, relative to turnover, you know, at at five billion at at a modest level. And one thing I noticed noticed in the ten ten k, which actually jumped out at me, a lot of companies try and lock down what they call IP with patents, etc. And they're in patent battles, there's no doubt about that. But one of the things they comment on, which I found interesting, is that they they believe that their uh, knowledge is residing in people. So that is a challenge uh, to people can walk with the knowledge in their head. So I guess if you were to look at Apple's HR activity, I suspect they'd take care of their people. And at the very top level, one of the key risks is their top, uh, management team uh, and again they can walk uh, so people still are seem to be a huge element of what I uh, what Apple are about that's great Jack okay John over to you so thanks Jack for that um, interesting and uh, I'm sure we're going to hear about this uh, Apple company again sometime technology boys so Fergal uh, you recently caught up with um, somebody from IDA uh, East Coast uh, can you tell us a little bit about that yeah, sure. So I spoke to uh, Steve, Stephen Mullen, who's uh, vice president of emerging business for the IDA on the East Coast. So basically what he does is he searches for companies who are ready to internationalize and looking for European base and tries to attract them to Ireland. So um, I started out by asking him uh, what are the kind of cases and what, what are the, the kind of companies that he's looking to attract. The case what we look for is that they maybe have 20 to 30% sales revenues coming from Europe. They don't have an office in Europe, and now they're looking for um, for a European HQ. They may have headcounts somewhere in Europe, 
uh, assisting them in their sales growth or their marketing drive. And now they're looking for you know a, a 10, 20, 30 person office, which we would call you know a, a European HQ uh, to service the European market. And where do you find these guys, Steve? Um, so my areas again: New York. Boston, D.C., but how I do my due diligence and, and check for them and find them is follow the money again. It's, you know, if a company has just raised 20, 30, 40 million, if it's 30 million, it's definitely for expanding their team, expanding their market, internationalizing, and it's sometimes it's as, it's as plain as, as, as cold calling. The best uh, avenue that that, that, that we found works quite well is having what we call one-to-many events. So it's getting people in the room, getting networkers, a community of tech people into a room that might be 50 to 200 people, um, and just get networking. And um, you'd be surprised how many. So I'll tell you a story about how Squarespace came to Ireland. We had an event in uh, an incubation space here in, in, in New York, Dogpatch Labs, uh, it's run by Polaris Ventures. We had about 100 people at, at the event. Um, Squarespace registered for the event, never turned up on the night because they were too busy or their business brought them, brought them, uh, tied them up. Um, we reached out to them after the, the event to say, you know, you registered, you obviously have an interest in internationalizing and the topic that we, we, we were putting on on the night and the dialogue started from there yes we were looking for at internationalizing uh, international markets Ireland is on the radar but it's a number of other locations a year and a half later um, Dublin uh, was, was chosen as their, 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 their European HQ and they now have 60 people on, on the ground in Dublin Thanks for that was an interesting story about uh, Squarespace so you also spoke to Stephen in general? Yeah, so um, you know, I spoke to him about a number of things, and um, I, I'll be publishing an article on the website with a kind of extended interview. But um, yeah, one of the other interesting things he said is just the, the kind of skills and uh, that these companies are looking for, and, and what what they're hoping to gain from the the Irish space. Ireland seems to be a great place to attract multilingual talent in and keep them here for two or three years. Google are servicing over 50 languages from their Dublin base. If you're looking at any brand name, uh, US brand name that's in Ireland and servicing their European market, they've all got a multilingual element. They've all got anywhere between 20 and um, 200 people servicing technical support, customer support. So it's not low, it's not a call center. It's tech support, web development, uh, customer support, supply chain management. Um, and before you know it, you're up at 50, 60, 70 jobs. Um, so it's, it's, it's multilingual with a skill set. And, and do you find these um, companies already, they're already aware that the Googles and, and these companies are in Ireland and they might be aware that that talent is there to be poached? C- correct. And, and um, I think they're more... Um, aware of the middle management in these companies so if you're looking at a Google and a Microsoft and and LinkedIn and and eBay and Facebook there's a layer of middle management in these companies that would we're looking for new opportunities uh, and some of the emerging companies that we're dealing with um, uh, is an attractive uh, avenue for them so uh, a lot of the companies like Squarespace Etsy MongoDB Engineered Marketo, uh, these companies 
um, have all been able to attract middle management from the likes of Microsoft, Intel, uh, and so forth in, in, in Dublin. So. Thanks, Virgil. That was an interesting uh, story about the skills um, required by these companies. And um, uh, Tara, we had, we had a discussion about this just before we came into studio. But you know, uh, this is, seems to be kind of a trend. This sort of moving of of uh, these skilled people between certain levels of companies. Yeah, I think that um, obviously there's some there's some great companies coming in who are established, and then some new guys who are setting up. And now the the model is just changing. There's no loyalty really with anyone. They're not going to stay for 25 years and get the carriage clock anymore. You know, um, as soon as the next cool thing comes up or opportunity, they kind of go. So retention is is a real issue for companies at the moment. And and that's actually a bit of a plug. But um, that's what my company is going to be doing to try and uh, tap into this space because it's it's a huge issue. You know, there's a obviously an effect on teams and motivation within those teams and um, especially within a sales arena trying to get people to work together so uh, yeah it's an interesting space okay thanks thanks Fergal and thanks Tara technology boys so in the cool tech section this month uh, Fergal um, the first item you've seen is the Nixie sounds like an Irish uh, domain name in ix.ie but it isn't what is it um, yeah it's just this this interesting little device um, and it's not available on the market yet, but it's essentially uh, a camera. That, it's a wearable camera that uh, sits on your wrist. But it, it's the interesting thing about it, it, it has a, it's a mini drone, mm. basically, that wraps around your wrist. And uh, when you can kind of, the idea is that you'll flick your wrist when you want to take a picture. The little drone will fly up, fly up into the air a few feet and be able to take a picture of you. So it's kind of like a selfie and a hands-free selfie uh, taking um, tool. So I don't, um, don't like the idea of this drone taking picture of my bald head. Don't think this is going to work for me. <laughs> Sorry, no Nixie. I, 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 I think I think that the idea of what they uh, marketing is loose. It's part of uh, this Intel competition to develop a new product, and, and the winner will I think Intel are going to put money into and try and develop it. But uh, what they're saying is for kind of adventure sports it's kind of like okay. the next level of the gopro so okay. for people if you're uh, climbing a, a, a cliff face and you want to take a picture you might not have a hand free to put your phone out so you okay. can click this thing and, and take a picture of you but i i just thought it was it was That's fun yeah it's it's fun whether it'll actually be going to wide well, uh, like, ship is another matter I, i've seen some interesting like they've done these kind of drone fly throughs different cities you know normally like you see all these kind of helicopter fly throughs um of of different cities and uh the drones seem to kind of capture stuff at different levels they have a couple of drones kind of flying around different cities in europe and it, it is interesting that this kind of view from a i suppose a different height than you're normally used to seeing um the naimi band for what is this yeah um i Another uh, device that sits on, sits on your wrist, but um, essentially it, it measures your heartbeat. And like your fingerprint, everyone's heartbeat has a unique rhythm. And but the NIMI band is basically using this as an unlocking okay. device. So, so you know, it's, uh, like reading your iris or your fingerprint, it, it, it's it's another um, an, another security measure, I guess. So. Um, <laughs> My, 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 my iPhone has enough problems reading my fingerprint. I'm just wondering how well this will be able to, how accurate it will be reading yeah, your heart rate. How accurate is to the amount of coffee you drink? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I get. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was thinking of myself. Obviously, your heartbeat changes, but there must be some unique rhythm that even when yeah. you know you're 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 in panic mode or you're asleep, it, it, it must work that way. But um, yeah, I mean, it's. In, I, I think you know, for things like, um, I think what it's suggesting is like things for opening your car and. 
that yeah. kind of thing, or where you wouldn't even have to, you know, you don't you don't even have to put your finger on it once you're once you're near it, it'll open. Wow. Is, you know, that, that to me seems like something that could be that, useful. That sounds pretty cool. It sounds like they're going to have to do a new version of Minority Report with all of these uh, new gadgets. The old ones are looking a bit old hat now. Fergal, uh-huh. thanks very much. Technology boys. So I'd like to say thanks to everyone for joining us in the studio today for the 13th episode and all going well. Uh, assuming the uh, file doesn't get deleted, you'll be listening to this on, online very soon or on the radio. Um, thanks to Jack Harty. Thanks, John. Thanks to Tara Del Rimple. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, thanks to Fergal Gallagher. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, I, I'm off now to uh, it's Tech Week in New York this oh, week, enjoy. so uh, I'm I'm off there with my uh, recorder. So I'd hopefully have um, uh, some interesting things from that for next show. Fantastic, looking forward to it. And thanks all to Tom Murphy. A oh, pleasure. Bye. So we'll see you uh, same time next month. And until then, have a great time. Thanks. Bye bye.